prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for how much you love and care us. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you in song. We ask you to anoint and bless this time as we look to worship you in word. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 11. And it came to pass the day that the day after that he went into a city called Nine, Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh unto the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Weep not. And he came and touched the, bear, the briar, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto you, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother, and there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us, and that God has visited his people. And this word of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. Now I'm going to just look at this one little story because I was really looking at this and trying to figure out what do I want to say about this. Luke is the only one that mentions this miracle of this, this activity. Jesus and his disciples are walking outside this city of Nan, and a funeral procession starts coming out the gates for a, the only son of a widow. And Jesus stops them and resurrects this young man. We don't know his name. We don't know the name of the widow. We just know that out of all the people that died in all of Israel that day and every other day, this one young man that's unnamed with an unnamed mother is healed of his death and resurrected. This makes me think a lot ago, why? Why does God do this? And how often do you have things in your life that you go, God, why do you let this happen to me? Or why did you not give me what you gave somebody else? The answer is God's sovereignty. <laughs> He's Lord and Master. He's going to do what he wants. And because he's Lord and Master, he doesn't have to explain to us why he's doing it. <laughs> and also the scriptures, he doesn't explain why he's doing it. There's, there's nothing in here that says this woman was more righteous than anybody else, that she was better than every other widow, that she was anything else. All that does was Jesus came by and had compassion. But I also want to look at this resurrection. This is our great hope, is a resurrection. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but there's ten references to people being resurrected in the, in the Bible. Three of them in the Old Testament, and the other seven in the New Testament. The three in the Old Testament, one of them is in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24. Elijah's been helping the, the widow of Zarephath. He's fed her. She's had a child that, that, that he said that was going to happen, and that child dies. And she sends for a call to her prophet who's been living in her house every time he comes near her house. And he comes and his, her child is resurrected. Then we have Elisha. He's ministering to the widow of Shuma, who was the one that fed him in the middle of the drought. She goes, I'm, you know, he meets her and she says, well, he goes, I, I want a cake. She goes, well, I've got just enough flour and water to make one cake for my son and we're going to eat it and we're going to die. 
and he says make me a cake first and she makes him a cake first and her flour and oil does not run out until there's rain. Well, when he meets her, she doesn't have a child. She, her, her child is going to end up dying as well and she calls for Elisha and says, come and, come and heal my, my son. And he heals. The third one who gets, and that, excuse me, that was in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 32 and 37. In 2 Kings 13 and 21, we have the strangest resurrection story of any of the resurrection stories in the Bible. This group of people running from another group of people throw a body in the, in the tomb of Elisha and again stands up and, and comes back to life. That's all we know about him. It, it's an apparently that these guys were not even good guys. And he was thrown into it and he was raised. Those are the three. Uh, it's in 2 Kings uh, 15, uh, 13, verse 21. 2 Kings 13, verse 21. Uh, very strange story. You know, you're throwing a man in the tomb and he comes alive. <laughs> Can you imagine what that would be like? You're running for your life. You throw your buddy in the, in the tomb and, and next thing you know, he's running with you. <laughs> uh, and there's nothing, nothing said whether it's good or bad or anything. It's just... We just know that this man is. Those are our three resurrection stories in the Bible, in the New Old Testament. These three stories ended up being to the Jews one of the signs of a prophet or a man of God. Is that the prophet obviously is so close to God he can cause for a resurrection? We see this in our story in Luke. What do they say? A great prophet has come among us. This man raises up the dead. He must be like Elijah and Elisha. And those two are great prophets in the, in the Jewish faith, Elijah and Elisha. And the other great prophet for them is Moses. All right, Moses, though, never raised anybody from the dead that's recorded. Now, he brought the law. He, he did great miracles. And, but they're going, here is a prophet from God. He's able to come and just raise somebody from the dead. The question always comes down to, well, why didn't Jesus raise all the people from the dead that he came across? Well, I don't know. <laughs> when you get to heaven, ask him. <laughs> I don't know the reason for it. You know, uh, there are many people who say Jesus healed everybody that came across his path. We know that that's not true also. Uh, Peter and John go to the temple at Gate Beautiful, and they find a man there that's been lame from birth who's laid there every year for 20 years. And Jesus went to the temple on several occasions and never healed that man. So Jesus didn't heal everybody he came across. So the question goes, why not? And we don't know the answer. God says, my thoughts are greater than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And we will never know God's thoughts. We will never know why God does certain things, why he doesn't do some things. What we do know is that he's promised that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So there will be blessings, there will be good that turns out of it. Many times, if you think about some of what you thought was bad when you were younger, and you're going, this was the most awful thing that ever happened to me, and you look back and realize, well, God used it to teach me a lot of things. Or God used it to teach others. And there are times when you're going through something just so you can minister to somebody else. Now, if you have never been in a, in a painful spot in your life where you have to trust God, you've never been in a hard place in your life where you had to trust God, how are you going to minister to somebody who is in a hard place? You know, and you go, believe me, I've done this. You, know, you, you need to just trust God. Well, it's easy for you to say, you, you've never been through what I've been through. So it's very easy. It's much better when you can go, you know what? I know exactly what you're going through. 
I've been there. I've been in this, I've been in this place. I've been in that place. Now, we want to be careful with that because that can also get us into trouble, but it does give us an opportunity to empathize with people and say, yes, I know where you're at. God, you know, if God made our life a storybook life, we'd have a hard time ministering to the, to the lost. They're going, well, I can't live the way you, they do it anyway. <laughs> I can't live the way you live. I can't be like you. I've heard it so many times when witnessing, well, I can't give up this sin in my life. I have a standard answer for that. I go, I don't remember telling you to. God does not tell us to clean up our life and then come to him. He tells us to come to him and he will clean up our life. There's a big difference between that. You know, there are things in my life that I thought I'd never give up. And God said, just turn them over to me. And when I turned them over to him, things were a lot easier to give up. Because it was no longer me giving it up. It was me turning to him and saying, help me out. Help me with this. Now, this, young, this, this widow, this young man, is one of many that Jesus just touched. And you know, it was kind of interesting because Jesus went to this town, and you'll note that it said many of his disciples, which is not just talking about the 12 disciples. We want to get this out of our head. Jesus had a lot of disciples. He had 12 that he personally took everywhere. So if he went off just him and a group, it was his 12, and the rest of them found him as soon as they could and followed him everywhere. Uh, we th believe there were as many as 500 people that pretty much went where he went. And then his crowd. Now, imagine, uh, Jesus, I'd like to have you come to supper tomorrow night. You better be ready to feed not just Jesus and his 12 disciples, but everybody else who shows up with him. All right? And that was part of the commitment in the Middle East, if you, you know, that you fed everybody who showed up. So inviting Jesus to your house was a big deal, even when it was just Jesus and his 12 disciples. But he had a group of people that followed him. He had his own church everywhere he went with a lot of people. And then everywhere he went, the people would come because they wanted to see miracles. They wanted to see miracles, and that was Jesus' big problem. Why did you come out? What are you coming out to see? Did you come out to hear the truth, or did you come out to see the miracles? And even in today's world, there are people that seek the miracles. And I'm not saying that God doesn't do miracles. He does miracles all the time. I've seen the healings. I've seen hearts repaired and, and diseases taken away. Uh, I've heard of but haven't seen resurrections. God still does everything he's done in the Bible still gets done today, if needed. But he's not somebody who's just saying, well, let me just show, you, show off for the sake of showing off. He's got a plan. He's got a reason. He wants to show that he is God. Yeah. And it's very important. He touches, us, touches these people. In the New Testament, we have three resurrections by Jesus. All right? We have the resurrection of Jairus in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 5, uh, 20, uh, 35 through 43. We have this funeral uh, a procession here in Luke 7. And we have Nazareth resurrected in John eleven forty-three. Now it's quite interesting. None of the other two, Jairus' daughter or this widow, seem to have caused, it, caused a big problem with the Jewish leaders. 
But do you realize that it said because of the resurrection of Lazarus, the leaders planned to kill Jesus? The other two had only recently died. There wasn't a big deal of them coming back to life. But Lazarus was dead for four days. After three days, the Jews considered you dead. Now, it's kind of a strange thing. They days later. They, they figured your spirit hung over the body for two days in the hopes that you could come back to life. So the first two resurrections to the Jewish mind weren't really resurrections. The, the spirit was just hanging there and got, got told to go back, and it was no big deal. But when Lazarus died four days later, and he says, that bothered them. Because Lazarus wasn't just dead. He was dead dead in their mind. You know, he was beyond coming back. Medical community, we understand. If it's, you're only, you know, people code and they, and they technically die and we hit them with the, the, the paddles and jerk their heart back to life, you know, we understand that they're not completely dead. And that's how the Jews looked at it. If you, weren't dead for, if you were dead for less than two days, you weren't completely dead. <laughs> you know, very strange, very strange mentality, but dead for four days. And to them, this was really, really hard to take. This man who is really, really dead is now alive. And from that point on, they were looking at ways to kill Jesus. Now, they were able to handle all of his healings and all of that, the, the temporarily dead people, you know, but Lazarus was that big stroke. He's already irritating them. You know, he'd already kicked the money changers out of the temple, which is the way that they were making money. You know, he was getting on their bad side as he was closing in on his crucifixion. The day that he was going to die for our sins. The day that he came to this earth for. You know, and this is the thing that you look at the New Testament and you see Jesus all through the gospel saying, I'm going to, I'm going to die. And then I'm, then I'm going to rise back up again. And yet the disciples never understood that before it happened. Why? Because it wasn't what they expected. Have you ever had something happen to you which was not what you expected and it was like, there's no way what's happening is happening? <laughs> they were following the Messiah. Now we use the word Messiah, but we don't really fully understand what it means to the Jewish people to say Messiah. Messiah is the king of kings going to come and make them the center of all government for the rest of eternity. That is what they're looking forward to. David's descendant sitting on a throne and being the center. This is for a people that have been persecuted their entire existence. The Jews have been persecuted ever since they started. All you got to do is go through the Bible. Much of it is because they were bad and disobedient to God. But they've had Ammonites attacking them, the Bomavites attacking them, uh, the Assyrians attacking them, Egypt attacking them. They have been attacked all through the Old Testament. They had Rome that was un, put them under their throne. And in recent days, we've had Hitler and other people coming out of them, and we're now having another wave of anti-Semitism. And they are being attacked all the time, their entire existence, because Satan hates the Jewish people because they are chosen by God to be his people. And he's trying hard to get rid of them. And we've talked about this. Why is he trying hard to get rid of them? Because Satan also knows the Bible. He knows that the Messiah will come and rule his people for the millennium. 
if he can get rid of all the Jews, he can make sure that God, and he can say, God, you lied. See, there's no Jews left to, for you to rule over. So he is hard, trying hard to get rid of them. God will never let him get rid of them. It is his people, and he's going to make sure that they are not ever totally destroyed. But Satan hates them. Just as, almost as much as he hates us when we're Christians. And it kind of makes sense for him to hate us because uh, we, we switched armies in the, middle, in the middle of the battle. You know that, don't you? You were his. You were in his army doing his will. And all of a sudden you became a Christian and switched, switched sides in the middle of a battle. Generals don't like it when you switch sides in the middle of the battle. You're a traitor at that point in time, and if they're going to do everything they can get, actually, you're worse than the, than the, enemy, the original enemy was because you switched sides. That's what we are. We switched sides in the middle of a battle because we were born on the wrong side to the wrong side, and we turned and we were born again. Satan doesn't like us. And he really doesn't like it if you are actively working for God. Now, when you become a Christian, if all you want to do is sit in a on Sunday morning, or maybe not even that much, Satan's lost, but he's not going to be, not be a big deal. But you want to start getting on Satan's bad side and get him to pay attention to you? Start doing something for God. It's pretty amazing when you start doing something for God and you start watching all kinds of crazy things happening in your life. You know, uh, you know your family all of a sudden starts giving you trouble. You know, you start not feeling good on the day that you're supposed to be doing something for God. You know, lots of little things that happen. You're going, Satan, I am going to serve God no matter what. And the better you get at that, the more the little problems start dropping away. You know, and you, you end up walking with God. And then you start doing some more for God, and Satan says, okay, we really got to go after you because you're, you're uh, getting a little bit too much trouble. I can't imagine... How much attack from somebody like a Billy Graham preaching to millions of people, you know, or some of these other great evangelists that have done great work for God, touching thousands, millions of people. Satan's going, ah, I don't, I don't like this person at all. And so he puts great attack on them. This is one of the reasons that I will tell people, be very careful in how you attack somebody or speak about somebody who falls from a great height. Because you might not have lasted half as long as they did when Satan turn, turns his attention to you. you know, you got somebody like Job. You know, what was God's testimony of Job? He is a righteous and perfect man who hates And Satan went after him like nobody else has ever been gone after that we know of. Lost his family, lost his wealth, lost his health. Then he had some wonderful friends telling him how evil he must be because of all the bad things that are happening to him. And he endures their criticism. And finally, after a while, he kind of gets a little upset himself and says, God, why don't you show up and let me talk to you personally and, and, and build my case to you. And God shows up and he says, I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm not saying a word. As God says, answer me. I'm here, you wanted, to, you wanted to give me your answers, give me your answers, and he goes, nope, I'm not saying a word. <laughs> because he stood before the righteous God, and he really did realize his sinfulness at that point in time. But you know, this happens to all of us as you start serving God, centered into his scope. 
The more you serve God, the more you, you will draw his attention. Now, I'm not bold enough to think that I deserve Satan's direct attention, and I'm probably nobody in this room deserves his direct attention. But you know, the more you serve, the more you're going to be noticed. And the stronger the, the attack will be against you, maybe a, maybe a more, you know, a worse demon or anything will be assigned to you. Who knows what it will be, but Satan will put some other notice on you. Because he does not like the work of God going on. Now back to our resurrection. The other two resurrections we've got resurrections um, are now by the disciples. We have Dorcas or Tabitha, who was resurrected in uh, Acts chapter nine. She's resurrected, and you have this poor guy, Eutychus, in Acts twenty verses nine and ten. Poor Eutychus, he's known for falling asleep in church. They were upstairs in a second story window. He was sitting in the window. He falls asleep, falls out the window, and dies. <laughs> I feel sorry for him, you know, because he's, you know, you know, how would you like that to be your claim to fame? Everybody knows who I am because I fell asleep in church. <laughs> but Paul did not chide him. He just went down and Eutychus was resurrected. They went back upstairs and continued church. Now, this happened during a really short uh, Bible study. They had been preaching all day long, and Eutychus falls out of the window at midnight. And they go back up, and they have a Bible study until morning. How would you like to have a church service for 24 hours? You know, you know, I can almost understand him falling asleep. You know, I'm not, I'm not criticizing him for falling asleep. He's upstairs. It's midnight in a hot room with lanterns going on. We understand how he could fall asleep. But I just feel sorry for him because he's known for falling asleep. He's known for falling asleep. So these are the two by the disciples. Uh, was Dorcas or, or Tabitha in Acts 9. And then Eutychus. In then we have two other resurrections. These were, these were performed directly by First one is the greatest one that we all know about, the resurrection of Jesus. And I didn't talk about which one because it's in all four Gospels. We know that one really well. God raised him from the dead three days. Now remember what we said about Lazarus. He was resurrected after four days. The Jews believed that you were dead, dead after two days. So Jesus was resurrected after the point where he would be considered dead by the Jews. Now, he was dead on the cross, and, they, and they, put, they have Rome put the guard out there and all of that uh, to make sure he didn't get stolen in their, their idea, and he comes back after three days. The other one is the one that most people don't know. It's Matthew 27, verses 2 and 53. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a great earthquake in Jerusalem, and the dead saints got up and walked around Jerusalem. It's the only mention of it is in, in Matthew, Matthew 20, 27, verses 52 and 53. Now, this would be very, very in one sense. You're walking around. All about God and, and that he's going and 
and we're assuming that then they were raptured, back, you know, taken up into heaven because there's no further mention of them at all. And this would be something, if they stuck around Jerusalem, I think we would have heard about that a lot. History would have been full of these people that all of a sudden showed up. And we have just one quick reference. So these are the ten resurrections mentioned in the Bible. Are they the only resurrections that have ever happened? I doubt it. But they are the resurrections recorded. What is the purpose of all these resurrections? They are examples of what is in store for us. God's promise to us is that we will be resurrected one day. And this is very important for us. We will be resurrected to go to heaven in a bodily form. Paul said in Corinthians that to be absent from the body is to be present with So as soon as we die and leave our body, we go and stand before God in the heavenly place. But there will come a time when he will give us a new glorified body. Now I'm glad it's going to be a glorified body. It's not going to have the sin nature. It won't be fat like my body. <laughs> I might even have most of my hair back that I'm losing quickly. <laughs> and probably won't be gray hair. I have no idea what our bodies will look like, but you know what? They're going to be perfect bodies. Whatever perfect is in God's sight will be the body that we have. And we will be known by everybody in heaven, which is hard for me to even imagine. You know, some of you that have lived in one place all your life probably don't understand this, but I've moved around all my life. You know, I only spent one, two, three years in a lot of places, and, you know, I went to school, 12 different schools in 12 years. And I think, God, how will anybody know me? You know, am I going to look like the person I did way back then, or am I, you know, how am I going to look to them? You know, if you've grown up all your life in one place, you can understand they, they'd know you no matter what age you are, they'll, they'll know you. But God says they're going to know us. They're going to know us. How? Supernatural, most likely. We'll have better, we'll have better up there. I am looking forward to not having to relearn stuff. Now, uh, I so often have to relearn something. I hope I'm not the only one, but you know, I'm, I know God tells us over and over again. He repeats himself a hundred times because he knows that we're really hard-headed and don't, and don't learn. And all through the scriptures, he says the same thing over and over and over and over again. I'm looking forward to heaven and not forgetting what I learn. I think that's the greatest thing I'm looking forward to in heaven. <laughs> and see Jesus, but you know, just to not forget. But, you know, this is very interesting. That we are promised the resurrection. Not just in the New Testament, where we would expect to see it, but also in the Old Testament. And I've got a handful of verses. I'm going to read a couple of them because I just want to really talk about this idea of the resurrection. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. This was Paul's exhortation to the, Thessal to the Thessalonians that said, there were people telling them, uh, you, guys miss, you guys missed the rapture. You missed Jesus' return, you're, you're out of luck. Because people were dying. In that first century, the disciples and everybody believed that Jesus was in their life 
So as each person was dying without being taken to heaven before the church was taken to heaven, they started getting in a panic. Uh, what's going on here? You know, we, we haven't telling them, well, you all have missed it, and if not, if you have, if you haven't missed it, they've missed it because they didn't live long enough. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. If they die, God's still going to take them, and he's going to matter of fact, he's going to take them first. The dead will rise first, and then those of us that are still alive will be caught up in the rapture. So we have a great blessing with that statement. We go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall rise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with him. We will be raised up to be presented before God with Jesus because of what Jesus has done. Now, of course, I'm, I'm talking to a church where I think most everybody is saved. So for us, if you are Jesus' disciple, his follower, you've accepted, you know, accepted his gift, these verses are applying to you. Now, however, there is a resurrection coming at the end of the millennial kingdom where all people will be raised up to stand before the Father at the white throne judgment. You don't want to stand at the white throne judgment. Everybody standing at the white throne judgment is guilty. We will be taken up before that. We will stand at the bema seat of Christ where our works will be judged that we allowed God to work through us. At the white throne judgment... You know, a lot of people think they're going to the white throne judgment with their wickedness and their sin being obvious. Jesus paid for the sin. They're going to stand in there in their own righteousness, which Isaiah says is filthy rags. And they're going to stand up there not realizing how they're dressed, realizing they're in all the good that they're going to be, and they're going to go, you know, things, and they get to look down at how they're dressed and realize they're standing before the God of the perfect God of the universe in rags. How many times have you witnessed to somebody and you go, why should God let you in heaven? And they'll go, well, because I'm a pretty good person. I've done more good than bad, whatever, whatever term you know, they use. At the white throne judgment, they get to stand before God and they're good. And God says, uh, sorry, God has a dress code. It's called perfection. And the only way we can stand before him is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the acceptance of that gift, and then we are clothed in Christ. All through the New Testament, Paul kept saying, in Christ, be clothed in Christ. And that is a beautiful thing for us because if we are in Christ, we stand before God, and what does God see? He sees Jesus. He sees the perfection of Jesus and says, come on in, my child. Those at the white throne judgment are going to stand in their own righteousness and go, sorry, you are not dressed right to come into heaven. Depart into the lake of fire for eternity. It's not a good, good thing, place to be. We have Acts 24. And I didn't put a bookmarker in. Verse 15, we have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. We just talked about that. 
there will be a resurrection for believers and non-believers, and there will be two different resurrections. We will have our resurrection when we end up in heaven. Hopefully it's soon enough that some of us won't die. Hopefully it will be soon enough that we will be raptured into heaven. If not, then we get to go first. So it's not the end of the world to not have that. John. Chapter 11. Verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believe you this. This is Jesus talking to Martha, Mary and Martha. I am the resurrection, Jesus said. We have a great opportunity to, to believe in Christ. And we know there's lots more verses in the New Testament about the resurrection. Um, I take, though, and look at a couple of them from the Old Testament because this is not something that is just a New Testament doctrine, the, the resurrection was. This is one that split the Pharisees and the, uh, and the Sadducees. Pharisees believed in a resurrection and spiritual things. The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection and spiritual things. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is Daniel, long, long before the Old Testament, uh, New Testament uh, going in. And the last one we'll look at, and I'll give you a few more after this, is going to be in Psalms, verse 49, verse 15. And God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. David understood God was going to bring back people from the death. If you read in the book of Job, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that I shall be with him again. Through the Old Testament, there was this hope. I'm following a God, a God of the living. How did God describe himself in the Old Testament? He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was the God of them, not that they are gone. He says, I am their God, and they are with me. Very important. God recognizes that he has created human beings to have a future eternal. Okay? Note, we don't have an eternal past. This is... This is taught by some cults and everything that you've always existed and God gave you a body for a short time and then you lived and you died and, and you're back to a spirit body. No, we started out at a fixed point in time and from that point on we, we have an existence. Very short time on earth, even if you live to be as long as Methuselah. Now Methuselah is the longest recorded life in the, in the Bible. He, he, he only lived 969 years. All right. he's, he's the longest living person that's recorded in the Bible. Even if you live to, be, to match or exceed Methuselah, what is a thousand years in comparison to eternity? You know, eternity, that's a, that's a feature that we can't even believe, understand. Something that never ends. Think of it as, as far out as you can possibly think, whatever the biggest number you can conceive of. And those big numbers have been really interesting. Church, how we always, talk, most of the old songs talk about uh, when we've been there 10,000 years. And, and those, you know that in the 1800s, 10,000 was a huge, 
huge number. People could not conceive of 10,000. What is our numbers now? We're actually getting up to where we think in numbers of trillions. We have no concept of what a trillion is, but we think in terms of a trillion because our, our governments have trillions of dollars of debt. Uh, and that's a big number. None of us are ever going to earn a, a trillion dollars in our lifetime. We'll be lucky if we get to a million. Uh, uh, talking to somebody just the other day, and you know, we were talking about how much money people make in today's life compared to even 50 years ago. And some of you can remember back to 60 years ago, 70 years ago, when, you're, when you would make, you know, if you made a, a dollar in the entire day. <laughs> you know, I remember my first real job, I got paid $150 a week. When I was an independent, how much it has changed over the years but whatever the biggest number you can conceive of think that out on eternity and you haven't even started eternity yet you can raise that number to the power of that number and you're still not out at eternity because it keeps going we have no real concept in human beings of what eternity is but I can tell you one thing after you've been out in heaven for a long, 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 long time, you won't even hardly think about this earth. It'll be just a little twinkle. And you're going, yeah, I remember something way back when, when, when faith was faith and not sight, when I hadn't seen God, when I didn't understand things more fully. We have all of that going on, and God says, I am going to resurrect you. Our great hope and peace is in that fact that God's resurrection is coming. He is true. He is very faithful. If anybody wants any other ones, there's a whole bunch. You can do your own study, but you can look at Psalm 49, verses, uh, verse 15. John 5, 25. John 6, 40. Uh, we've got... Uh, John talks about the resurrection a lot. You know, the book of John is full of resurre resurrection of Jesus and the proof of our resurrection. And then there's the more general st statements of resurrection. But we have all kinds of stories. There, there's a promise of resurrection. There's a promise of a glorified body that is going to be perfect. And we need to be able to hold on to that because that is our hope. When everything starts to seem to be going bad in this world... Know that there's a perfect body coming. There's a perfect place coming. And that perfect place is where Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. In my Father's house are many mansions. And don't want you to think about mansions on a hilltop where you get a whole thing. Think of mansions as suites of rooms, because that's what that word means. In my Father's house are many suites of rooms, and we'll all have our own suite of rooms. Some might have bigger suites than others. I don't know, but there will be a suite of rooms. Uh, heard a story about somebody who went to the hotel and paid lots and lots of money for their hotel room, and they lived in the hallway of the room all week long because they, couldn't, they didn't realize what they had had, and then they, opened, and they found out that if they just opened the door, there was a huge suite available to, you, to them, and they lived in the poverty of the hallway, wondering why, they were spending, why somebody was spending so much money to give them their room. We down in this earth have no clue what God is in store for us. 
We live so far below the call of God and the gift of God. We are, if you are a Christian, you are a child of the King with all of the benefits that that means. And we need to be able to understand that God has more in store for us than we ever can comprehend. And just learning to be at peace with him is so important. The first step, of course, is to recognize your and turn to him and accept him as your Lord and Savior and be able to say, I am a child of the king. I am no longer an enemy of the king. And then live for him. Let him be Lord and Master, because that's what it amounts to. God, I turn myself over to you. Paul's favorite statement of himself is, I am a bond servant for Christ, a bond slave for Christ. What does a slave do? Whatever the master tells him. Now, that's something that's real hard for us, even as Americans especially, because we don't like anybody telling us what to do. One of the hallmarks of being an American is self you know, what is good for me? Nobody's going to tell me. The government's not going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And God says, uh, you're my servant. You're my slave. Quit being an American. <laughs> Turn over to God and be God's. He's not going to tell you to go do stupid things. He's not going to tell you to do things that are going to be uh, too crazy usually. Now, why do most people not want to turn to God? Because they're so afraid that he's going to tell them to, all right, I want you to be a missionary to Antarctica. <laughs> you know, I don't know why anybody would go there, but, you know, this is the kind of, or he's going to tell me to go to Africa, or he's going to tell me to go to some country that I don't want to go to, or some place I don't want to go to. You know, the really funny thing is, if he actually is going to tell you to someplace, go someplace you don't want to go to, by the time he tells you you're going to want to go there, now, he will give you the heart to do what he is going to ask you to do. Now, and it's going to be hard sometimes, but you know what? God says, I'm going to give this to you. And then watch what God does. When God gives you a job to do, he'll give you the strength to do it. He'll give you the skills to do it. He'll give you the heart to do it. And then you get to watch God work and say, God, you are so wonderful. I love serving God. It is so much fun to watch God do things in our life. And I hope you all know what it's like to be serving God and watching what he's doing for you. When you're obedient to God and say, God, I'm just going to do what you have said to do. I'm going to trust you. And it is hard. People go, well, how can you trust a God that you can't see? You know, right. If I didn't trust him, if I hadn't, didn't have his word, I probably wouldn't trust him. I look in the word and he has protected his people and for 50 years he's covered me and protected me and, and blessed me and all that I've done. And most of the people that I know that are following God, I look at them and say, yep, God, you kept your word with them. You'll keep me. Learn to trust God. Step out. Sometimes what he tells you to do sounds really crazy. God says, I want you to go talk to that person. Not me. <laughs> You know, it's kind of funny. People look at me and say, go, well, you're a pastor. You like talking to people. No, I don't. <laughs> I like talking to people with no problem. I don't really like to go out and talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. It's not me. But you know how long it's when God makes me do it? A lot. <laughs> he says, I want you to go talk to that person. I want you to go talk to that person. 
There will be times when God is going to say, do these things that you don't want to do. But when he does, he will give you the strength. He will give you the skills. He will give you the power to do it. Learn to trust him. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? You can get embarrassed. Really, that's about the worst thing that can happen to you. You might be embarrassed for a short period of time. To tell people I was in high school, what's the worst thing you can do? Kill me. Why? Because if they killed me, I'd be in heaven. That'd be the greatest blessing that they could do to me. Go ahead and kill me. Send me to heaven. Almost killing me meant that I had to suffer. What is your attitude toward God? Are you looking forward to serving God and being willing to do whatever he asks you to do? One last thing to mention. In the, in the hiding place, when they were in the concentration camp, you had... Corey Ten Boom complaining about the lice and the fleas in the, in the barracks. And her sister reminded her, well, because of these, the guards don't come in and, and abuse us. What a difference in, an, in the look. One is looking at the discomfort of this world. One is looking at what can we do for God because of this. How are we blessed? Look for what God is doing in your life and count the blessing. Don't look at all the bad things, because there's lots of bad things that happen to us. God never tells us the bad things aren't going to come. Jesus said, they hated me, they will hate you. If you're having trouble in this life, praise God. Praise God, that means you're a target. It means that, that you're suffering for Christ. Does that make it easy? No, nope. <laughs> it doesn't make it any easier. God, the easier the, the time goes. Have you ever noticed when you're griping and complaining about things that things just seem to get worse? It just seems like everything's worse and getting worse. And this is one, one of my favorite hymns is Count Your Blessings. Count your blessings and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. If you're counting your complaints you will drive yourself to misery real quick. And it will surprise you how awful your life is. <laughs> because all you're doing is looking at what is going on wrong. And this isn't positive thinking. This is just looking in your life. We're going to end here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, we thank you for your loving care that you are in to trust you more help us remember that there is a resurrection coming there is a perfect life coming that will eclipse this life so completely give us a heart that desires to do so and we just thank you in Jesus name amen listening friends where will you be when you die we ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. 
If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.